0: Good morning. Glad you could join in this morning. And uh, if you got your Bible handy, I hope you do as always. Open it up to Exodus chapter 2. It's the second book of the Bible, right after Genesis. You come to Exodus, and uh, we're going to look at chapter 2 today. Now, explaining what has led up to chapter 2. Um, if you're familiar with the study in Gen- uh, the book of Genesis, we actually just a few days ago t- looked at Joseph and how God had his hand upon Joseph, uh, taking what his brothers had meant for evil. And ultimately using it for not only Joseph's good, but even the good of so many whom Joseph was able to save through his wisdom and his um, his God-given wisdom and his ability to interpret the dreams that God had given him, uh, uh, Pharaoh's dreams that God had given Joseph the ability to interpret. Uh, and ultimately he protected Egypt and all the nations that would come to them for food from the famine that had struck. It was part of the dreams that Pharaoh had had and such. Uh, and so God's hand had been upon Joseph, and so Joseph, in the course of those things, becomes elevated to second, uh, behind Pharaoh in Egypt. And after all these events take place, and and God has shown Himself strong on Joseph's behalf, Pharaoh invites Joseph to have his family come down to Egypt, and so they do. Jacob and the rest of his brothers, they all come down to Egypt. They have this wonderful, glorious reunion. That's a great story to read again. Genesis thirty-eight through fifty is where you can read these things, and and so. Israel, the nation, uh, Jacob and his sons are now in Egypt. Now, this is something that God, uh, you know, they're happy in Egypt right then, but the time is about to come, and that's where we'll be, uh, we'll look at here in just a moment, is that uh, the Egyptians were about to enslave God's people. A Pharaoh that would rise up uh, years later after Joseph and his brothers had passed off the scene. The generations that followed prospered and grew and multiplied in the land. And a Pharaoh who didn't know Joseph, as it would go on to say, um, recognized Israel not as a blessing, but as a threat. Uh, no longer was he looking at Joseph as the great savior of Egypt and, and of the surrounding nations, but rather he saw these people as a threat who could potentially join an enemy and rise up against them one day. And so this pharaoh decides, instead of uh, letting them continue as they are, to start to ultimately oppress them. And he invites the people of Egypt to join in his efforts to hold the people down and ultimately enslave them lest they rise up against them. And so they become slaves in Egypt. Now, all the way back in Genesis 15, under Abraham, God had told Abraham that this would happen, that one day his people, his descendants would be in Egypt and they'd serve as slaves for 400 years. Well, that is what is now happening. And about 300 or 320 years into this, uh, we find chapter 2 beginning. Um, I say that because Moses will grow up to be about 40 when he goes to visit um, with his brothers, uh, his fellow Hebrews in Egypt, and he's about another 40 years after that that he ultimately becomes their deliverer at 80 years old. And so we're about at the 400-ish year mark or so, it's about 300 plus years into this, when Moses is now born, and so with that said, we look at chapter two of the Exodus, where it says that now a man from the house of Levi went and took as a wife a Levite woman. The woman conceived and bore a son, and when she saw that he was a fine child, she hid him three months. When she could hide him no longer, she took him, uh, took for him a basket made of bulrushes, and daubed it with bitumen and pitch. In other words, she made a basket and set this goopy kind of stuff around it so that water wouldn't get into it, so it would float on the Nile and not sink. And so she put the child in it and placed it among the reeds by the river bank, and his sister stood at a distance to know what would be done to him. Now the daughter of Pharaoh came down to bathe at the river, and while her young woman walked uh, while her young woman walked beside the river. She saw the basket among the reeds, and sent her servant woman, and she took it, and when she opened it she saw the child, and behold the baby was crying. She took pity on him and said, This is one of the Hebrews' children. And the sister said to Pharaoh's daughter, Shall I go and call you a nurse from the Hebrew women to nurse this, this child for you? And Pharaoh's daughter said, Go. And the girl went and called the child's mother. And Pharaoh's daughter said to her, Take this child away and nurse him for me, and I will give you your wages. And so the woman took the child and nursed him. And when the child grew older, she brought him to Pharaoh's daughter, and he became her son, and she named him Moses, because he, she said, I drew him out of the water. Now, in the same way that we saw God's hand upon Joseph and upon the circumstances of that time, we see another hyper-specific way that God shows his hand upon Moses as well. Uh, here is Moses' mother who, uh, and father, and they have this child, and he's a beautiful child, and she doesn't want to turn him over to, um, to be killed according to Pharaoh's command. I guess I didn't mention that part, but as he oppressed the people, one of the edicts he laid out was that, uh, that if a Hebrew male child was born, he was to be killed so that their population wouldn't continue to grow with potential soldiers and fighters and uprisers against Egypt. If it was a female child, they could live, but a male child was to be killed. And so he set over some, some midwives, over the, uh, the Hebrew midwives, and said, if a male child is born, you're to see that he's killed. Well, these women feared the Lord. And so rather than obey the Pharaoh's edict, instead, they made up a story that the Hebrew women were just not like the Egyptian women. They have their children so fast, the midwives can't even get to them before they're born. And so we're not able to do what you're asking us to do. And so they make up this story in an effort to protect the children because they fear the Lord. Well, it's in the midst of all that, that Moses is born. And so Moses uh, mother and father, they—they they, this this is a beautiful child. They—they they are they're doing what they can to not fulfill Pharaoh's edict and to save their child. And so, uh, they they hold on to him as long as they can. But eventually, it's three months in. The child is no doubt growing and crying and making noise and it's becoming hard to cover for the fact that he's there. And so, uh, his mother does something that demonstrates her uh, first off motherly protective instincts. She does what she has to to try and save his life. Uh, the alternative being that he'll be slain if he's found out. And so she puts again together this basket and uh, pitches it to make sure water can't get in. She sets him in it, covers him in blankets or reeds or something to keep him somewhat quiet and sets him in the Nile. And as Pharaoh's daughter is down there bathing, it's, it's interesting that it's not the soldiers that are walking the banks that find him, but rather it's Moses' daughter. Who who finds this basket floating down the river, and she sends a servant girl to go and uh, and and get it and find out what it is, and she finds it's a Hebrew child. Well, again, it's interesting that a soldier didn't find Moses; it was actually or whatever his name would have been prior to her naming him Moses. But uh, but it's 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 not a soldier, a hardened pharaoh obeying you know soldier who finds him. It's a compassionate woman who, like any woman with maternal instinct, sees this child, hears it crying, and has pity on him. And she doesn't think of how she can kill this child. She thinks of, oh, I need to take him in, uh, this poor helpless thing kind of a thing. Um, and so, uh, so Moses' sister is watching this. She's off on the other bank, or she's in the reeds somewhere. She's Somewhere she's situated, she sees this happen. And Pharaoh's daughter's wondering what to do. And so she calls out, Moses' sister. Unbeknownst to Pharaoh's daughter, it's Moses' sister. She cries out and says, hey, do you want me to get one of the Hebrew women to nurse him for you? And so she thinks, well, that's a great idea. Why don't you go find one? And so Miriam is Moses' sister's name, we find out later. She goes and gets Moses' mother. And, uh, uh, and so Moses' mother, unbeknownst to Pharaoh's daughter, presumably it's not known that this is Moses' mom, but she goes and gets Moses' mother, and Moses' mother ends up getting paid by Pharaoh's daughter to raise her own son. It's incredible. It's the hand of God on a circumstance that should have ended in disaster, but now ends up becoming this uh, beautiful example of how the providence of God, God's divine care on on people and on a circumstance, he brings from what should have been a, a total... Catastrophe turns out to actually become uh, the, the path by which he brings the deliverer of God's people right into Pharaoh's own household. Now, it's going to be 80 years from now that Moses ultimately delivers them. But for the next uh, little while, Moses' mother has an opportunity to raise her son. And so she no doubt is singing the Hebrew songs and she's reciting the Hebrew history and she's saying these wonderful things about the God of Israel to her little boy who's just, you know, hearing his mother's voice, this voice he's heard in the womb all this time. Now he gets to hear her voice out here in, in her arms as he's nursing and she's no doubt reciting all these things to him and filling his mind with all that she can in the time that she has. She's pouring into him while she's got him. Now, it doesn't say all of that, but what mother wouldn't do that? So I think it's a fair presumption. I don't mean to presume upon the text, but it's a fair thing to assume that in that time she takes that opportunity. And by the way, there's something that will preach there. You know, all of us as parents should uh, before we have to hand our children over to the world and ultimately uh, send them on their way, we should invest in them while we have them. It's a whole thing in itself, no doubt, something to think about. But so Moses' mother finally, at some point, after raising him to a certain stage where it becomes time to hand him over, she gives him over to Pharaoh's daughter, and she becomes, he becomes Pharaoh's, daughter, Pharaoh's daughter's son, and she names him Moses. Now, during the time he's in Moses' house, he'll grow up as a son of a king. Uh, he ends up learning and getting the education that Egypt would bring. He's, uh, he's, he becomes, uh, somebody who is no doubt growing up in the courts of Pharaoh, understanding what it means to lead and all of those kinds of things. And it's significant. Uh, you could tell the whole story of Moses here. Uh, and I probably should save it for another time. But when you think about it during that 40 or so years that he grows up in Pharaoh's house before he ultimately leaves Pharaoh's house, uh, flees from Pharaoh's house and spends 40 years in the wilderness. It's interesting that for all that he learned in Egypt, it's almost like it took that 40 years in the wilderness for God to sort of unlearn that stuff for him so that he could learn what it means not to be a leader, but to be a shepherd. And so one time we'll come back and look at that. But it's during that time in Pharaoh's house that he grows. And one day he comes out and he sees the uh, Egyptian people uh, 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 slave driver um, beating on one of the Hebrews. And so Moses takes a look around and make sure no one's watching. And he kills the Egyptian and hides his body uh, because he has compassion on his kinsmen. He's grown up in Pharaoh's house, but he knows he's a Hebrew. And so he kills this soldier or this slave master, whatever his full position was, but he was beating a Hebrew. And so Moses kills him. Well, the next day, He's walking out and he finds two of his own kinsmen, Hebrews, arguing with each other and fighting. And Moses says, brothers, why are you fighting with each other? And they sort of turn on him and say, are you going to kill us like he did the Egyptian? And he becomes fearful for his life because he feels like he knows the story is out. And so he flees Egypt. And ultimately, he um, spends 40 years in the wilderness there on the backside of the desert, if you will, um, where he learns, again, how to be a shepherd. All through Moses' life, God had his hand on him from his very earliest days of bringing him into Pharaoh's house, preserving him, protecting him, letting him grow up under the the nursing of his own mother, um, and and then growing up under the uh, the protection of Egypt, uh, ultimately so that one day he would become the deliverer. And it's in the wilderness there that Moses, 40 years after that, ends up hearing the voice of God in the burning bush, and he gets his commission to go and deliver. The providence or the guiding, caring hand of God upon Moses' life is a great example of how God is able to orchestrate circumstances and have his hand upon people to accomplish his purposes. God's guiding hand is a principle that we see throughout all of scripture and thankfully also something that we can point to in our own lives. When we look to the scriptures as examples of this, it helps us to understand that God does in fact fulfill his purposes oftentimes through, um, uh, well, always through the servants that he chooses. And on all of our lives as children of his, as 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 sons and daughters of God, as believers in Christ, we can understand that his hand is on us as well. It's important for us to understand this because for actually for a couple of reasons. First off, because our lives mean something to the purposes of God. He can accomplish his purposes without us. Remember when Jesus rode into Jerusalem and they told he t- uh, the Pharisees told him to tell the crowds to be quiet, lest you know, just out of fear. Jesus says, hey, the stones themselves would cry out right now because this is the day. He doesn't need us. He could easily use stones. He could use angels. He used a donkey in Balaam's life. He can use anything he wants. But yet he wants us to understand that we can be used for his purposes in a very direct, specific way, uh, not in spite of what he wants to do, but because we want to pour ourselves into what he wants to do. And that's important for us to understand because when we take that mindset on, now Moses didn't know what was going on when he was a baby, but eventually over time he came to realize that God had chosen him to do something, and not just something, but something extraordinary. Uh, The story of Moses is one of the most epic, extraordinary stories of God's working through a man in in all of scripture. And to think that Moses is as ordinary a person who just, because of the providence of God, found himself in circumstances that tuned him up and prepared him, and and, uh, and 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 just put him in a place where God could use him. There are a lot of times along the way we read about Moses' story. Relatively, we can read about his story in a relatively short time, but yet Moses lived to be 120 years old. In the course of that 120 years, there were lots of times when Moses could have died. He could have been killed in Egypt among the other. Uh, Hebrew male children. He could have died in the wilderness protecting the flocks uh, that uh, his father-in-law had uh, when he was out there. Uh, There's all kinds of things that, uh, that could have taken his life or could have led him in some different direction. But God led him a certain way because he had chosen him for a task such as he had we would do well to embrace the mindset that God wants to use us in his purposes and plans. And when we embrace that mindset, we begin to understand our circumstances in a different light. Uh, Remember, uh, when you think of the story of Moses, a lot of the story of Moses was not the up on the mountain getting the commandments from God. It was not all at the burning bush in the presence of God. He had to deal with being uh, a fugitive from egypt he had to deal with the complainings of the uh, of the israelites as he led them in the wilderness he all kinds of adversity would come his way but nonetheless god's hand was upon him through it all as a matter of fact his fleeing from egypt where he was a fugitive for all those years uh, and he ends up living in the wilderness possibly in his own mind he thought he was uh, uh, doing a good thing and, and maybe even pushing god's will along when he killed the egyptian soldier in egypt And maybe he thought it backfired or something like that. I don't know what was in his mind, but certainly if he had any thoughts that God was going to use him in that moment, certainly in all those years in the wilderness before he met God at the burning bush, he no doubt thought his life was over. His opportunity maybe had been lost. But in fact, God was using that circumstance and molding and shaping him through that circumstance to make him again, not just a military leader, like he might've learned in Egypt, but rather uh, to become a shepherd, a leader who doesn't drive his people, but leads his people. Somebody could be a mouthpiece for the Lord to his people and would have a heart to bring his people before the Lord. Um, a hardened military soldier in Egypt uh, might not have had the kind of compassion and patience for the people of God that Moses demonstrated. Uh, I hadn't thought to jot this passage down, but in, in the Exodus's uh, or is it in Numbers, maybe, where as he's leading them through the wilderness um, in their disobedience, uh, God uh, offers to basically let that generation die out and give, or to wipe them out and give Moses a new generation to work with. Now, of course, you know, God knows how this whole thing's going to play out. So it wasn't like he was really going to destroy them, but he sort of puts it to Moses and says, what do you want? And Moses says, no, no, don't destroy them lest the nation's... You know, um, you know, degrade your name because you couldn't control your people and all this kind of a thing. And so Moses, rather than having this hard heart of a military leader, a task-driven oriented person, he's a shepherd who cares for sheep. And God uses that opportunity to bring that to the fore that we might learn from it and that he might maybe see it in himself. And so our circumstances, as God leads us through them, through his providential hand, through his hand of divine care and guidance, leads us through things in life that are meant to equip us and build us into those things that he's ultimately making us into that he might use us in the ways that he wants to let me interject a thought here too because no doubt at some point along the way we're thinking well gosh you know there are some circumstances that i go through that are just awful and i can't believe god's using this for something let me interject a thought again here um it's easy for us to think that in order for God to use a circumstance, it has to be in the way that we would imagine it to be. We, we we think that circumstances must be a certain way for it to be God's hand on it. But again, God often leads us through circumstances that are very adverse, very difficult, very trying, very uphill. Um, I'm a pastor of a church, and I love what I do, but there are times when I feel overwhelmed and I feel pressed on all sides. Uh, and I think, God, can you please end this right now? Or there's times I think, oh, this is why pastors quit or this kind of a thing. You just have these thoughts. And in a clearer moment, I realize, you know something, I'm. I'm those are times of tremendous growth. There's an old Arab expression, all sunshine makes a desert. And uh, uh, there's truth to that, right? If the rains don't come, then the ground gets hard and it cracks and it doesn't produce any growth. But when the rains come, Ultimately, it breaks up the ground, and it ultimately allows for fruit to be born. And so it's an important lesson for us as we think about how God will use our circumstances in our lives to mold us and make us into that which he desires to. We need to trust in his goodness and grace. We need to trust that he's got a purpose in these things, and that as we walk with him and we enlist ourselves in his service, that we're giving him the freedom to do those things, that we might become what he wants us to become that he might use us in the way he wants to use us. You know, when you think about, um, you know, David, another shepherd. I mean, here's a guy who was not even seen as important enough by his own dad to come out when the priest uh, Samuel came to town looking for the one that God had chosen to be the next king. David's an afterthought, but he's out there in the wilderness. He's out there... um, uh, protecting the sheep and the lion and the bear and the wolves and all these different things. And he's learning to raise them and protect them because God was going to call him to be king, but a king who would be a shepherd of his people. Um, and so David, when he stands before Goliath, or when he's rejected by his own brothers, or when he's, uh, fleeing from Saul and God protects him, and he has opportunities to kill Saul, but doesn't, these are all things that God is circumstances that God is putting David in in order to prune him and refine him into the man that he needs him to be. And even with that, David had his failures. But when you look in the New Testament with all of his failings, and they were epic failings, David is still the king by which all of the kings are measured. We need to embrace and not reject those things that God brings into our lives, as hard as they might be. Uh, Was it, um, uh, oh gosh, was it Longfellow who said, into every life a little rain must fall. Uh, And that's true, and we need to embrace that and recognize that when these things come, it's not ultimately because God is bringing us through circumstances to destroy us, but he's bringing us through circumstances to bring growth, to build us, and even to prepare us for that which you will ultimately call us to. And who's to say that you and I aren't gonna be somebody like a Moses who ultimately is used powerfully by God? Who's to say we're not gonna be somebody like a David uh, who will become somebody who will uh, have the, the potential to, to lead others uh, as they follow God and as they walk with him? Uh, and, and, and whatever it might be, who's to say we're not gonna be that person that God wants to do something through? But oftentimes he'll do that only after he has prepared us. And so trust in the hand of God, know that he's good, and know that no circumstance in our lives is something that he allows frivolously, but rather he's using it to mold us and to make us. Again, something to think about, and so I want to leave that with you, and let me pray us out as we Commit these things to our hearts and minds as we commit ourselves to Him. Father, we thank you for your grace. We thank you that, Lord, you lead us through circumstances in life in order to help us to grow, not to destroy, but to bring, uh, to build, and ultimately to build us into those things, those people, those tools, those instruments in your hand, those vessels of honor that you desire to use. And so, Father, we just pray that our hearts and minds would be ready to see our circumstances through the grid of what uh, of your grace and mercy and that you're your skillful hand at work, and rather than shrinking away, thinking that this is uh, uh, an evidence of you leaving us or something like that. Help us to remember that you're faithful to your promises. You never leave us. You don't forsake us. And, Father, you're always with us. We thank you that Jesus takes us by the hand through this life, and we're led by the power of the Holy Spirit and even filled by the Holy Spirit. And so, Father, help us not to doubt, but rather to recognize that our circumstances are really from your hand, ultimately for our good and your glory and your purposes. Help us to embrace that mindset because Lord, when we do, who knows what you might accomplish? So Father, we pray we glorify you with our lives and as we ask these things in Jesus' name, amen. Again, as always, I invite you to comment, if you like, on our YouTube channel or on my personal site, parsonspad.com. You can email us, email me through there as well. Uh, and, and uh, I'd love to hear from you, hear your thoughts on it as well. Maybe you have a story of something you went through that, um, that seemed at the time like it was just destroying you, but later on you found out God had actually used it to prepare you for something that he was going to be glorified through, something that ultimately he showed himself strong on behalf uh, uh, through you in that circumstance. I'd love to hear about that. It's exciting. It's cool. It's a great way to encourage each other. So that being said, I uh, look forward to catching up with you next time. And uh, God bless you as you walk with him under his guiding hand. In Jesus' name.